0: From the Internet Law and Policy Foundry, this is the Tech Policy Grind podcast. Every two weeks, we'll discuss recent developments and exciting topics in the technology and internet law and policy space. I'm Rima Musa, and I'm a member of the fourth cohort of Foundry Fellows. The Foundry is a collaborative organization for internet law and policy professionals who are passionate about disruptive innovation. Just a few weeks ago, the landmark Roe v. Wade decision that established constitutional protection for reproductive rights and bodily autonomy for those who can become pregnant was overturned in the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization decision. This opinion was anxiously anticipated after it was first leaked in early May. For today's episode, I chatted with Eva Galperin, the Director of Cybersecurity for the Electronic Frontier Foundation. On the implications of the current privacy and surveillance landscape on the enforcement of state laws emerging from the overturning of Roe, as well as the response of the privacy and security community in its wake, and useful resources and ways to mobilize in the effort to protect privacy, digital liberties, and reproductive rights. Eva's work is primarily focused on providing privacy and security for vulnerable populations around the world. More recently, she's worked on addressing the digital privacy and security needs of survivors of domestic abuse. She's also the co-founder of the Coalition Against Stalkerware and has been an outspoken voice on digital privacy and security issues surrounding reproductive rights. Thank you so much, Eva, for taking the time to chat today. I think just to get started, I'll, I'll ask you... What is going on? What are some of the, the issues that we've seen already coming out uh, in the wake of the overturning of Roe as it relates to privacy, uh, digital liberties, and surveillance?
1: All right. Uh, so uh, last week, we saw the Supreme Court overturn uh, Roe versus Wade in uh, the Dobbs case. And uh, this is not unexpected. A full copy of, uh, of the decision was leaked approximately a month ago. And we expected to see this decision in June, which gave us a lot of time in which to prepare. And indeed, most of the people working in reproductive rights and privacy have been expecting this since approximately 2016, and it has been the explicit goal of uh, sort of the the ultra-conservative branch of the Republican Party uh, since 1973. So uh, it's not like we didn't know this was coming. Uh, And we've had a lot of time in which to think about our tactics and a lot of time in which to prepare. Um, But what we're seeing right now uh, is... Uh, Well, let's start with what we were seeing before the overturn of Roe. Uh, Around the time that it became clear that the overturn of Roe was imminent, uh, states like Texas and Oklahoma passed laws that made it uh, possible uh, for individuals to file civil suits against people that they thought uh, were aiding uh, people with abortion access. And uh, that is not, you know, a you know violation of uh, of Roe. That's sort of like getting around it. Um, but it was uh, sort of the first step, and it included sort of you know deputizing people and turning them into an an army of snitches because they could get ten thousand uh, dollars for suing someone. Uh, that they thought had assisted with an abortion. Uh, this law was almost immediately used to prosecute a woman for her pregnancy outcome. Uh, this case was dropped in the state of Texas, and the judge specifically said, "Hey, this is not what the law is for." Uh, but that was cold comfort to the woman who uh, who had to go through uh, this entire process at a particularly difficult period in her life. Uh, and of course, if you look at the people who are being targeted uh, with uh, prosecution over their pregnancy outcomes, uh, it is uh, almost entirely. Uh, women of color uh, and uh, women uh, who are are living below the poverty line uh, so when when we talk about how the overturn of Roe is going to hurt people uh, and is specifically going to hurt people seeking abortions and also people who have miscarriages and we, we come up with all of these scenarios. the first thing that we need to do is we need to acknowledge. That uh, even before the overturn of Roe, we were uh, we were seeing consequences. Just we we were seeing consequences for people whose identities are largely marginalized, and so when they have consequences, it's not seen. These these are not real consequences. These are just you know poor women of color. Uh, but I, I think that what's uh, and, Hopefully, sarcasm gets across in in this particular uh, in this particular situation um, but yeah the the consequences are already here uh, if you are uh, you know an undocumented migrant, uh, if you are a a person of color, if you are living below the poverty line or some combination of all of these marginalized identities, and all that we're going to see in the future is we're going to see this present expanded out to more and more groups of people. Uh, one of the first uh, sort of pushbacks that I got immediately after uh, the uh, overturned of Roe is like, wait a minute, abortion is not illegal. Uh, you know, uh, Roe did not suddenly make abortion illegal. And that is a, uh, uh, that's a dis- disingenuous uh, argument. Uh, there were Many states that had trigger laws that were essentially just waiting for the overturn of Roe in order to make uh, abortions uh, illegal or uh, essentially inac- inaccessible, uh, and those laws uh, often did not have uh, you know, uh, exceptions for rape or incest or to save the life of uh, of the uh, mother. Or any of, of the of the things that you know, people frequently uh, object to, and that they that they find uh, abortion necessary for. I am of the opinion that uh, every every person who gets pregnant can decide for themselves whether or not uh, they need an abortion, and they don't need some sort of you know get get out of abortion free card. Uh, that it's it's entirely up to them, and that it does not matter whether uh, you know, the the circumstances under which Uh, they are getting their abortion or the reason that they're getting their abortion it really comes down to abortion access is fundamental health care and if you don't have um, if you don't have autonomy over your own body then you don't have any other rights all other rights start there Uh, And you would think that we had essentially worked this out uh, when we uh, got into a civil war over uh, whether or not uh, enslaved people were, you know, people. Uh, But no, uh, apparently
0: we get to do this all over again now. You bring up a couple of really important points, I think, of the intersectionality issues that arise uh, and who's affected from this decision and the, the sort of ensuing um, laws at the state level that are going to follow. Um, and then the prevalence of trigger laws and the laws that were already uh, sort of in place, such as in Texas and Oklahoma, just waiting for this overturning to happen. And a lot of stories coming out of those laws Uh, just like the one you mentioned of women who are already being affected by these restrictions on their, their bodily autonomy. So then taking a a big picture look at the, the sort of tech aspect of this, how do you think the current surveillance and other technological capabilities, um, Of the private sector of the government uh other stakeholder groups that might be relevant affect the post row world sort of in the wake of this decision as it relates to uh privacy concerns um, and especially where these more aggressive laws are in place such as in texas where, where there might be sort of active investigations going on to examine uh, people seeking an abortion uh, or having undergone one?
1: Well, um, this is really a question in two parts. Uh, what we should usually start with are uh, kind of the um, the risks that people who, who become pregnant are taking now, the danger that they are in now, what is happening to people who are being uh, prosecuted for their pregnancy outcomes or made to carry uh, pregnancies uh, to term and you know, forced to give birth to children they do not want? Uh, what kinds of uh, you know, evidence is being used uh, against them right now? And what are the appropriate mitigations that one might take in order to cover one's tracks, in order to safely? Uh, get an abortion in a place where abortion has been prohibited? Uh, and uh, the answer to that is uh, so, a lot of people have been giving a lot of security advice, and often that security advice comes down to become Jason Bourne, <laughs> <laughs> become completely untraceable, and then have your, you know, uh, untraceable abortion. Uh, and that's not realistic. Uh, I have spent um the last dozen years of my career traveling all over the world working with activists and journalists and people who are you know, in vulnerable populations on the ground in uh largely authoritarian states and let me tell you that requiring every single one of them to essentially become a spy uh is uh, is not going to work <laughs> um so I try to start with the simplest advice, which comes, uh, which is you know, very uh, grounded in the kinds of things that people who are being prosecuted for their pregnancy outcomes are seeing right now. Uh, people who are being prosecuted for their pregnancy outcomes are not uh, being brought in in a dragnet looking for you know everybody who has searched for abortion in this state or anyone who has walked into this Planned Parenthood in California or anything like that. That is not what is happening right now. Uh, what is happening right now is that, uh, people are being turned in by their doctors, by their nurses, and by people that they trust. And the evidence that's being used against them is usually, uh, emails, uh, Messages, including end-to-end encrypted messages, because obviously they are coming from the person that you are messaging, <laughs> and so that's the other end of the encryption. And end encryption is not saving you there. Uh, and uh, Google searches, uh, searches into search engines—not just Google, but usually Google—and um, so the appropriate mitigations for these are: uh, be careful who you trust, including your doctor or your nurse. Um, Use uh, end-to-end encrypted messaging with disappearing messages turned on <laughs> when, uh, when you are talking about your pregnancy or your pregnancy outcome or abortion, even with somebody that you trust. Uh, this will not prevent the person from, say, taking a screenshot of your conversation, uh, but it does limit the amount of time in which they can do so. Uh, and it doesn't prevent them from testifying about what you wrote, uh, but if the message uh, automatically deletes itself, then it is uh, it is a much weaker testimony. Uh, and then once they, they have been turned in in this way, uh, we also see uh, people's phones being searched. And so we have some suggestions around locking down your phone. Um, but to take a, a quick step backwards, uh, also for... Uh, if, For your search engine searches, I recommend uh, downloading a separate browser that you will use for your sensitive searches. Uh, where you're not logging into any of your other services so that it does not touch them, and that allows you to compartmentalize. And what I recommend downloading is the Tor browser because the Tor browser is specifically designed to uh, keep the sites that you are going to from logging your IP address. And if this sounds familiar, this is also what a VPN does. Um, But there are many different kinds of VPNs of varying levels of sketchiness. And when you use a VPN, uh, the VPN company usually (laughs) does have a record of who you are and where you have been going, and they can be subpoenaed. Uh, So this is why I recommend Tor Browser over a VPN. But if you find Tor Browser to be too difficult, Yael Grauer (laughs) over at uh, Consumer Reports has uh, a really nice breakdown of uh, of what VPNs are more uh, privacy protecting than than others. But really Tor Browser is the way to go because it is the most foolproof. It is specifically designed for this purpose. Um, So I recommend that people do that. Um, What else am I recommending? I think that's about it. You know, just uh, be careful who you trust. Turn on end, uh, end-to-end encrypted messaging. Turn on disappearing messages. Use a, a separate browser for your sensitive searches. Uh, ideally, Tor browser. The second half of, of this is about looking to the future. About what kinds of threats we are likely to see uh stuff that is coming up in the next few months stuff that's coming up in the next year or two stuff that we will be seeing in the coming years um, and again this is uh less immediate than the threats that we are seeing right now uh, but also it is my job to look into the future <laughs> and and to see uh how governments uh and, and to use my experience with the ways in which governments have uh have tracked uh you know, journalists and activists and dissidents in authoritarian regimes, uh, and apply that to people who are seeking abortions. Uh, and in that case, not only do people who are seeking abortions really need to up their operational security, but we really need for companies to step up and uh, to simply not gather the data in the first place and to commit to protecting what data they do gather uh, so that they do not become part of a dragnet. EFF, for example, has just filed an amicus in a dragnet search case uh, not having to do with abortion uh, in which uh, the government simply asked for everybody who, the, the identities of everybody who made a particular search. Uh, When in a particular area. And that is uh, a very scary future. Um, Because one of the big differences between now and 1973 is um, that we have this sort of surveillance state. Uh, We are living in an era of unprecedented digital surveillance. We walk around with uh, tracking devices in our pockets, and uh, they can give away an awful lot of very sensitive information about who we are and what we are doing at any given time. And if we don't want this data to be used against us in the near future, uh, then we need to start thinking about how we are going to protect it now. And that's something that the entire tech industry Uh, and that all of tech policy needs to be thinking about now before the threats show up.
0: So we have data all about where we are, and what we do, and what we search, among many other types of data. And that's being collected both actively and passively, sort of without our our knowledge or it being salient to us and so the issues around location data and search data seem to be uh particularly salient but what other vulnerabilities or vectors do you think are relevant to keep track of now and you know as you speak of in the future um particularly, for example, uh, health tracking apps that seem pretty innocuous or, or not so dangerous uh, in their in their original mission, uh, but now can can pose a threat. So what are those threats and sort of how do they work? And what is the the government's um capability to subpoena that sort of data
1: well there are a variety of health apps up out there uh, and they are very very commonly used uh, by people who may become pregnant uh, in order to affect their pregnancy outcomes or in order to avoid becoming pregnant uh, and i think that's one of the reasons why the discussion of period tracking apps really caught on in the public imagination um, when Roe was overturned, one of the you know, sort of big pieces of advice that everybody kept giving was, you should delete your pregnancy tracking app. Um, should you? Uh, the answer is probably no. <laughs> uh, this is not an, an immediate threat uh, not all pregnancy, tra- uh, pregnancy tracking apps are created equal. Some of them are more privacy-protecting than others. Uh, there are apps like Yuki that make sure that they uh, keep all of your information um, on your device where you can control it, uh, which is potentially better than having it uh, you know, in, the, in the hands of the company where it is potentially subpoenaable uh, by governments and law enforcement. Um, but for the most part, like, this is not the kind of attack we're seeing right now, and it's probably not the kind of attack that we are going to see anytime soon, um, but that doesn't mean it will not come in the future. Um, so if people are deleting their pregnancy apps or their pregnancy tracking apps and then going or their period tracking apps, and they're like, oh, well, I'm done. I have, I have protected myself, uh, then uh, they're actually doing more harm than good. And I am I am very concerned about that. Uh, that is not what people should be doing right now. Um, the threat of data being subpoenaed from period tracking apps and health tracking apps uh, exists. Uh, it's just, it's not the biggest threat and it's not the most immediate threat.
0: We saw the concurrence written by Justice Thomas call out, decisions protecting the right to obtain contraception, uh, same-sex marriage, homosexuality, these really sort of basic rights. Uh, So how do these rights uh, get affected um, by, by this sort of landscape of tech and privacy if we are to see a future in which those rights come under uh, direct threat of restriction or overturning, uh, as we saw with Roe. Well, uh,
1: in many ways, uh, Roe was targeted by uh, you know arch conservatives in the Republican Party because it is a linchpin. Uh, it is the the foundation on which many other. Uh, you know, rights and civil liberties uh, rest and a lot of the, the foundational cases, the cases that allow uh, people to have uh, free access to contraception, uh, that allow uh, people of, uh, of the same gender to get married, that allow people uh, to, the, that allows for interracial marriage uh which incidentally uh Justice Thomas is not interested in overturning for some reason um these these are all laws that uh that rest on the foundation of roe, and now that they have overturned Roe uh the Supreme Court can now go about undoing the work of uh of many decades of uh of civil, uh, civil liberties uh, jurisprudence, which Justice Thomas seems to be very uh, enthusiastic about, uh, other justices have come out and said that this is going to be problematic and that they should stop at Roe. Uh, but these are the same justices who, when they uh, were being questioned during uh, you know during the hearings, uh, in it, in which they were uh, about to be named to the Supreme Court, also said that Roe was a settled issue. <laughs> so I don't trust a damn word that comes out of their mouths about uh, what they will and will not overturn. Uh, so, yes, I think that all, all of these other rights are potentially in danger and uh, they are in imminent danger. Uh, And again, all of the same tools that are used to to surveil us uh, that can give away information about whether or not somebody is pregnant. Uh, can also be used to give away information about uh, whether or not someone is seeking contraception, uh, about whether or not someone is homosexual, about you know all all kinds of, of other things which are currently protected <laughs> under uh, you know civil civil rights uh, laws and uh, are rest on the foundation of these cases, uh, and we could definitely see drag nets. Um, in the case of sort of outlawing homosexuality, uh, dragnets of you know, gay men in bars were incredibly common for a very long time. It was not unusual to see gay bars just outright raided and everyone inside arrested. Um, so that's, uh, that is your, your future over uh, in, in a world in which we have sodomy laws again. Uh, so imagine, if you will, that instead of waiting for everybody to walk into a bar, you just a uh, subpoena grinder.
0: That is a horrifying thought. And I think especially we just had Pride Month. These issues should be you know, top of mind for everyone, no matter what community you identify with or belong to, you know, we're one global community. Um, and these issues really in the digital world, I think are, are going to affect everyone. Uh, thank you for, for digging into that. So I want to scale back a bit and take a look at what the response has been. Uh, to the overturning of Roe. And like you mentioned uh, near the beginning of of our chat, there was some time to prepare and to sort of conceptualize uh, what this future might look like considering that the the Dobbs opinion was leaked. So what has the response been that we've been seeing so far from, uh, from the private sector, from civil society and What do you think the impact of Dobbs might be on the wider data privacy uh, and surveillance law landscape as we move forward? Well,
1: uh, the Again, the bad news about this not being 1973 is, uh, you know, that we are living in a world of unprecedented data surveillance. Uh, the good news about the fact that we are not living in 1973 is that uh, abortion uh, is uh, does not look like it did in 1973. Uh, many abortions, a significant portion of abortions, are uh, you know, self-administered uh, through uh, through medicine. You don't have to go and get uh, uh, you know, a procedure in a clinic anymore for a significant number of abortions. Uh, and this means that next we are going to see a battle over access to medications. <laughs> All the medications that could pot- that could potentially uh, cause an abortion. And in fact, we are already seeing Uh, people in states where abortion has essentially been outlawed uh, being denied access to medications that are uh, potentially uh, pregnancy-ending, even if uh, they have been prescribed in uh, completely different contexts, uh, such as when a person has lupus. Um, And that is very disturbing. We have also seen um, platforms taking down uh, posts about uh, abortion information, uh, about where where you can get an abortion safely and securely, about where you can get uh, medication mailed to you. Uh, it's uh, and and we are going to have to have a knock-down, drag-out fight with the platforms uh, in order to protect uh, this information. Because uh, safe, accurate, and secure information about how to get a a self-managed abortion is uh, is really what is going to save lives here.
0: That's a fascinating point of just even having the access to information of where you can even find uh, resources, medications. Do you have a concern that that access to information might be impeded either by uh, government, state agencies, and sort of laws that uh, restrict what sort of information is allowed to be spread? So sort of a content moderation aspect? Of- yeah. Uh, there are, there are
1: two aspects of this to be concerned about. Uh, the first are, uh, the first is a proposed legislation, uh, banning this kind of content. Uh, and the second is, uh, platforms, uh, choosing to ban this kind of content voluntarily because it is banned in some states, um, or simply because they think that it might be banned in some states, uh, you know, platforms ban all kinds of content that is not illegal anywhere, uh, and it is uh, it is entirely within their right to do so, uh, but it is not great, and it is, uh, I am not looking forward to a future in which the platforms uh, essentially shoot themselves in the foot by
0: complying in advance. Right. So what can we do about this? Where can we go from here? What can listeners to this show do to protect themselves, protect people they care about? I know you mentioned some really proactive uh, security tips that can be taken in the short run. Um, But even as far as activating and and mobilizing um, to combat some of these Concerns that are on the horizon. Uh, any sort of recommendations there?
1: Well, uh, the primary recommendation that I have is uh, that uh, if you are a person who uh, who may need an abortion in the future, uh, that now is a good time to take a good hard look at your operational security. Uh, to uh, learn how to use the tools that will allow you to segment your data uh, so that when you are in a panic, when you are having a very hard day because you have gotten some very bad news, you already know how to use these tools and you don't have to to learn on the fly. Uh, So that that is my primary recommendation. Uh, my secondary recommendation is that right now people are making a lot of social media posts about how, like, so if you want to go camping, you can come over to my house, that will take care of you. And this is very cute. <laughs> and, uh, in, in order to indicate that they will, uh, they will help people to get abortions. Uh, this is actually not helpful at all. Uh, police are not dumb. <laughs> they know exactly what you mean. Uh, and furthermore, uh, these sort of auntie networks of, uh, of people who are just showing up and saying, like, hey, I will help you uh, with your abortion, are uh they're not very safe and they have often been infiltrated by trolls. Uh and so what I recommend doing is to find the existing networks and to plug into those networks and to provide your support that way. There are vast robust networks largely run by people of color uh, in the United States that have been at this for some time. And rather than creating your own thing and building a whole new thing, plug into the stuff that already exists. Uh, It is so much more useful. Uh, And uh, sort of trying to create your own thing on the fly is potentially dangerous to the people that you're trying to help and is definitely
0: counterproductive. Absolutely. Because I can imagine that in those more established networks, there are m- maybe processes in place to weed out trolls um, or people who could actually pose a danger.
1: They've been at this for some time and their operational security is, uh, is much better. They have spent a lot of time thinking about these problems uh, because these, uh, these kinds of restrictions are simply not new for communities of color they've uh they've been at this for years
0: yeah such is the unfortunate reality but i suppose fortunate that there's this infrastructure in place uh that that people can lean on um in in their times of vulnerability so eva any final thoughts on this subject i know that we could probably chat about it for hours there's so much going on um but anything you want to leave the listeners with
1: Uh, well for the sort of people who are interested in internet law and policy uh sometimes these are people who work at tech companies and so if you work at a tech company uh now is the time to look at the kind of information that your company is uh is collecting on its users Uh, And to think about how that could be used in a context in which abortion is made illegal or in which uh, governments and law enforcement are engaged in sort of dragnet surveillance for people who are either seeking abortions or who are providing abortion support. And try to make sure that either you don't have that information in the first place uh, or that uh, it is end-to-end encrypted and you don't have the keys.
0: That's a great takeaway. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and chat about these issues. And here's hoping for a safer future, a future where digital liberties and and liberties in the real world and the the tangible world um, are protected and that we have some light at the end of this dark tunnel we're in. No one is coming to save us, and so it's up to us to save each other. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Tech Policy Grind. If you or someone you care for can become pregnant now or in the future, be sure to check out the resources and tips mentioned throughout the show. You can find them linked in the show notes. If you would like to support the show please reach out to us at foundrypodcasts at ilpfoundry.us. You can find our email in the show notes as well. The Tech Policy Grind podcast comes out every other Thursday. See you next time. The Tech Policy Grind podcast was created by the fellows at the Internet Law and Policy Foundry. It's produced and edited by me, with support of the incredible Foundry Fellows. Special thanks to Mary Bakhtasarian for her collaboration and support in bringing this episode to air.